Eagles Entertainment. With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we are going to put a ribbon on our coverage of the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And we're going to start it off with draft buzz as I welcome back Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell to talk through the standout performances from last week overall, including the game on Saturday. So plenty to talk about with those guys, just kind of putting a ribbon on our coverage from the Senior Bowl uh, and what that means for a lot of these prospects as we move forward through the next stages of the draft process. Then we get to on the clock and again, returning to that new version of that segment where uh, Ben, Dane, and I, we're going to pick some players for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Seattle Seahawks, and Arizona Cardinals. So if you're a fan of either of those three teams or you just want to learn more about players throughout the course of the draft, make sure you stay tuned for that segment. And then we'll wrap things up with our draft mailbag. A couple of good questions, including a good one about the linebacker position in this draft. Before we get there, as always, make sure you leave us a rating, leave us a review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen, head on over, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you've got a question, we will answer it here on an upcoming episode. Like I said, in our draft mailbag, we've got a couple good ones here from you at home. That said, let's get started. Excited to start things off here with Draft Buzz, Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, well, excited to kick things off with Draft Buzz as we kind of wrap up our coverage of the Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. The game happened on Saturday. Uh, and guys, that's where we're going to start there as I welcome in Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler. Guys, let's talk through uh, the game on Saturday and some of our bigger takeaways. We'll just start uh, with a standout player from the game. Dane, uh, who stood out most to you just from the game on Saturday? Yeah, and this is low-hanging fruit because he was named the game's MVP. Uh, but I'm going with Oklahoma's Perrion Winfrey. Five tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks. It, it, and, you know, we, we talk about how the game doesn't matter nearly as much as the practices. That's where, for evaluation purposes, um, you know, it's really important. But it's also interesting to see the guys that, um, you know, continue that momentum into, into game day. Some guys shut it down after a few good practices. Winfrey, he only heated it up. Uh, I mean, it started way in, 6'4", 303, 35 and a half inch arms, almost 86-inch wingspan. Brought it every day in practice, and then he didn't slow down on game day. He was a wrecking ball up front. Yeah, it just felt like him just putting an exclamation point on the week, right? And, and we, we've talked uh, a lot last week about that performance on Wednesday in the rain and how he was kind of the tempo setter uh, there that day in practice. And for him to kind of follow that up uh, and have that kind of game that he did on Saturday, I think that was notable. Ben, uh, who's the guy that stood out to you on film from, uh, from the game on Saturday? Well, I guess we'll go to the other low-hanging fruit, and that's some of the quarterbacks. Yeah, you know, I thought Kenny Pickett operated his drive flawlessly, being six of six, moving his team right down the field for a touchdown. Looked like a continuation of his play and film at Pittsburgh this past season. And then Malik Willis, some of his playmaking out of structure, I think, finally got to show that off on under live circumstances, which yeah. obviously practice you're wearing those red or Reese's orange jerseys during the week, so no one's going to touch you. It was great to see I had four carries for 54 yards and just that creatability outside of structure is a big part of his game. And it's a big part of succeeding in the NFL late in the down. So a little bit of structured play from Kenny Pickett and his nice drive. And then Malik Willis really showing off what he could provide to an offense. You know, on that one scramble where he cut back to the left, you know, he had a nose for the end zone. He, he was he was hoping uh, he could sneak in there. He ended up getting taken out of bounds uh, around the five-yard line. Dane, uh, I know you highlighted Malik as one of your matchups coming into Saturday. Uh, did you did he kind of live up? Uh, did, did you get to see the, what you wanted to see from Malik on Saturday? 
Yes and no. I mean, I, obviously, we saw what he did from an athleticism perspective. Um, you know, he is uh, dynamic. I, I mean, he is really, really impressive. And not just scrambling, but moving the pocket and, uh, you know, buying those those extra half seconds with his legs. Um, you know, as a, as a passer, is a little up and down in terms of, uh, you know, locating where he needed to go with the football, especially after that first read. Uh, and, and that's really the question mark we have with him going through the process is just going to be the, the post-snap uh, ability to work through reads. And so I think that that question is still there. But, uh, you know, in terms of the traits, what we thought based off the of tape and coming in, he certainly, you know, check those boxes. He has the arm, certainly has the athleticism. Yeah, and just to put that quarterback conversation to bed real quick, Fran, sure. a guy whose name we didn't hear a whole lot during the week, Sam Howell, I thought had a really strong week kind of behind the scenes from what I'm hearing in his talk with some teams and some interviews as well. He showed off some ability to create outside of structure and in structure with some design quarterback runs as well. He is a tough, tough competitive player, yep. both running and throwing the ball. So he's the guy that's experienced, maybe didn't have a supporting cast in 2021 like we had all hoped and maybe expected for a senior campaign. But Sam Howell, don't forget about him. He had a good week and a good game. Yeah, that was something that we always kind of – you could always hang your hat on Sam Howell's toughness, whether it was in the pocket, whether it was as a runner. We saw that more this year. Uh, his toughness has always been uh, one of the the standout qualities of his game. Uh, let's go just overall from the course of the week, and we can factor the game into this as well. Uh, Dane, I'll come back to you on this one. Uh, overall winner for the week. Who, who's a guy that just coming out of senior bowl week, you get home, uh, and you're like, man, like th- this guy really helped himself the most. Yeah, I think I have to go back to the defensive line because to me, the theme of this week was the defensive line and how much it dominated. And really, if you would have asked me before the senior bowl, you know, what's the weakest position in the draft? I might have said defensive tackle. You know, it's at least uh, down the list of uh, best positions in this draft. So it's really good to see some of these defensive tackles really show out. Mentioned Perry and Winfrey, how good he was in the game, then also during practice. Uh, Travis Jones belongs in there. But I think uh, Devontae Wyatt, I think, is my answer here. Uh, out of Georgia, uh, a, a guy that was, you know, we talked about before, obviously, throughout the season and then during Senior Bowl week, hidden a little bit in that Georgia defense just because he wasn't allowed to get a lot of single matchups and, you know, be able to be disruptive in the backfield on a regular basis. Uh, but this is a former high school linebacker. Uh, so he has speed. He has athleticism. He's agile. Uh, you know, when he had those one-on-one opportunities and drills, uh, he, he was destroying guys. So, uh, you know, Devontae White to me is is a player who came in with 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 uh, you know expectations, and I thought he surpassed them. So uh, it was really good to see this defensive tackle class step up, uh, especially with Wyatt, uh, who you know he could be the first uh, defensive tackle drafted. I think it's possible. I you know Jordan wow. Davis wasn't there. Uh, obviously, very different types of defensive tackles here. What we're talking about. Uh, but it would not shock me at all if Devontae Wyatt's the first defensive tackle drafted in this uh, in, on draft day. Wyatt's quickness off the ball uh, is one thing that really kind of stood out to me throughout the course of the week. Uh, you know, that was something that we didn't always get to see in that Georgia defense. So seeing him kind of come off the ball, uh, threaten the edges, be able to be a disruptor in the backfield. I thought that was really impressive from him over the course of the week. Uh, ben, how about you? Yeah, I'm glad I love that pick of Wyatt. And for any kind of situational film junkies out there, just watch third and five plus over the last three years to Georgia and all the creative ways he was used, whether it's a mugging uh, pass rusher in a stand-up position, QB spying, a lot of stunts and twists. You could really see that kind of dancing panda profile. But I'm going to go with Zion Johnson out of Boston College. I think he's one of the low-hanging fruit answers as well. His obviously anchor and balance and footwork was outstanding all week. His contributions at center 
which wasn't expected apparently. And then gave a lot of obviously work after practice and trying to perfect that craft. But it's also a perfect storm of why he's the overall winner. I don't think Boston College was on a lot of TV sets on Saturdays for people around the country. Kind of an uninspiring. I think they were six and six this year. Their military bowl got canceled. That stuff matters as far as eyeballs, buzz, stock, things like that late into the season. You're not competitive. You're not then playing into a, a bowl game on a national stage. And then suddenly Zion Johnson's of the world go quiet. He was a Davidson transfer, so kind of an interesting background in getting to BC, played some tackle, played some guard, really had to kind of solidify what he was going to be at the next level. And I think this was his kind of coming out party, for lack of better words. I know, yes, they have played Clemson in the Worlds and have had some nice upset wins here and there uh, with that nice program that Jeff Halfley is now turning around there. But Zion Johnson, with the kind of buzz coming into the week, I thought he really took advantage. Zion Johnston, Boston College, one of the best interior linemen in the class. Yeah, he, he won practice player of the week, overall practice player of the week uh, on Friday night. And I think when you look at his overall performance, you know, there were some were there some bad reps, sure, but a lot of them were at center where Ben, like you said, uh, he had not played. I mean, he was the backup center for BC all season. He did some work in practice, but we had not seen him at the center position in a game over the course of his career. He was a, a left tackle in 2020, left guard this past season, as well as in 2019, where I thought he was outstanding. So uh, just getting a chance. Fran, to I, I went and ran to his Davidson tape real fast to go see if he played center right well forgot it's one of the uh strong weaknesses uh offenses where they flip the tackle so yep. he'll be on the left side one play then all of a sudden the formational strength changes the next play and he's playing right tackle and he'd crush the guy on the left side then the right side it was a lot of fun but no snaps at center his entire college career yeah, yeah give, a, go back to high school he was uh yep. he only played tackle so yeah zero center experience in a game uh yeah is really his entire career and that presents so many different challenges than just going from right guard to left guard. I mean, you're then figuring out, you know, hand exchange and replacing and where to put that off hand and the snap hand. It's a completely different set of rules and techniques to move over to center. I know we kind of lump in center guard, but as far as the mechanisms of getting your hands to the right spot while snapping the football, it's not something guys just pick up, you know, as a hobby off the cuff. So really impressive work from Zion. And I love, too, the, the two days that he stayed after practice to work on the QB center exchange. Uh, the first day was with Kenny Pickett, and it was a lot of under center exchange. And then the second day is with Desmond Ritter, where it was all shotgun exchange. So uh, that was also kind of unique as well, just kind of seeing the, the thought process into his preparation. For me, I just want to go back to the receiver position. I feel like, look, uh, was this receiver group, when you look at both squads, was it as strong as we normally see down there in Mobile? I would say no. But I think overall, when you look at two guys that stood out, they were the two guys that uh, won the practice player of the week for each squad. Christian Watson from North Dakota State, Calvin Austin from Memphis, two complete opposites in terms of the body type. Uh, you know, Watson, 6'3", 200 plus, Calvin Austin, 5'7", 170 and, and change. I think when you look at both of these guys, though, they rarely put the football on the ground. They showed the ability to separate. They did it in a number of different ways. I thought Watson was was really consistent throughout the week. And Calvin Austin, maybe one of the more underrated weeks of any player at any position. It just was a really, really tough cover everywhere on the field, not just down in the red zone, but also uh, out in space. I thought that everything that he did was just really, really impressive. So uh, Christian Watson, Calvin Austin, let's give those guys some love at the uh, wide receiver position. No no receiver created more separation throughout the week than Austin. I mean, yeah. he was that, that short area quickness. Uh, he would win over the top. Uh, he He's a small target, obviously. So, you know, it's a smaller catch radius, but he's a guy that can get open. And that's 
obviously has a ton of value in today's passing game. Consistently plucked the football, uh, was always catching balls away from his frame. Uh, and what I love too about Austin, there were a number of reps. They did a couple of point of attack drills, uh, just individual like our taking on a, a, a corner out in the flat. He gave great effort in those plays. Just saying, you know, a guy that uh, is that small, he plays a little bit bigger than that size, which is good to see. It just gives you a sense of his temperament as well. You know, and after those three practice sessions, he was the number one guy I wanted to go and kind of refresh on the tape because I kind of brushed through it, you know, earlier in the season. I was blown away. He's small, but he's very competitive. He's small, but can beat press coverage. Yep. He's small, but knows how to run routes and get himself open. He's not just an over-the-top guy. And just to remind everybody, nine-time state champion in different sprints in high school. We're talking 100 meters, 200 meters, 60 meters, relays. This kid has explosive speed, was a member of the Memphis track team, and walked on to the football team, if I'm not mistaken. And that's kind of how his football career started. Very similar height, weight, speed to Isaiah McKenzie and how he was used this past season with the Buffalo Bills. So that height, weight, maybe not for everybody at 5'7", 175, but it succeeded on Sundays in a variety of packages. So Isaiah McKenzie, I think, is a pretty relevant uh, receiver comp. So as I was thinking about Calvin Austin for the, the overall winner, uh, it also got me thinking like, all right, well, who are some players that we didn't talk enough about last week that maybe deserve a little bit more praise? And so uh, I thought, let's make this a kind of a category here. And Ben, I'll come to you first. Uh, who is the guy that uh, you felt deserved a little bit more love just from the, the coverage of last, week event, last week's event in Mobile? Well, it's a guy we've been hyping up, or I've been hyping up quite uh, emphatically over the last few weeks and into the Senior Bowl, and I feel like we're just getting desensitized to this guy making plays and always being right there on receiver and tight ends' backs and being right where he needs to in short zones and in the run game, and that's Jalen Petrie out of Baylor. I think he's made so many plays, he didn't have that one splash play that took over Twitter or have that one impactful play that got all the buzz. He was just consistently solid all week at a variety of positions. And it was no accident. All those tough catches that Weidermeyer, or excuse me, that I, uh, Trey McBride made, that Jalen Petrie was right on his back each time. You know, he's a guy that was always in position, smart kid, had a couple nice PBUs, just not that signature play that, for all intents and purposes, you know, sometimes that's what gets your name out there and gets some buzz and you make some highlights. And next thing you know, you're the one they're interviewing on Sports Center at night. And that's where legends grow and buzz grows. And Jalen Petrie had a great week. Not enough attention, in my opinion. I love it. Yeah, and he's just such a, a fun player to study just because of uh, his play personality and that versatility. He worked with wide receiver DBs. He matched up against backs and tight ends all throughout the week. Uh, just a really fun player to study. Dane, how about you? Yeah, and I, I think that uh, I, I was I was worried there that Ben was going to take uh, who I was going to pick uh, and snipe me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll go with Tariq Woolen, uh, who I know we've talked about before, uh, you know, on the pod and. Uh, we've talked up a freaks list guy, uh, but I don't think we're talking enough about how early this guy could go. We're talking about six three, over two hundred pounds. Uh, he is going to run ridiculous uh, at the combine. Zebra Technology does their you know their their metrics miles per hour, and they've been doing it the last four years at the Senior Bowl. Uh, only four players have gotten above twenty two miles per hour uh, during Senior Bowl practices. Tariq Woolen has the fastest time they've ever clocked, uh, just ahead of Terry McLaurin at 22.45 miles per hour. Uh, and so not only does he have the size at 6'3", or 205, 33 and a half inch arms, 
but he has the speed, which we knew he had, but he confirmed it. And then I thought he had a good week of practice. Uh, I thought for a guy that is that long, you know, long legs, you worried about him getting tied up in his transitions and uh, just that long gait and not being able to collect himself and drive. And I thought he did a nice job staying composed, staying patient, staying on top of routes. Um, and, and, you know, when he did have a maybe a false step or something, he was able to recover and show off that length and where he's able to uh, get back in phase and make a play on the ball. So Tariq Woolen, I don't think we're talking enough about just how high this guy could go. And I thought he got better throughout the week as well, which you're always looking at for guys that come from lower levels of competition. I mean, he, you know, UTSA is a group of five school, but uh, you like him coming in and just getting better throughout the course of the week. And, you know, 6'3", 200 pounds with uh, that kind of freakish athleticism, that's going to catch a lot of eyes. So, yeah, I would agree with you and that he's a player that, uh, you know, maybe we're not talking enough about in terms of how high he could go. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with a late ad. Uh, I'm going to go, go with a guy that we didn't see until Thursday's practice, the indoor practice, uh, and we got to see him a little bit in the game as well. TJ Pledger, the running back from Utah, some dynamic qualities with him. I mean, you saw the ability to get vertical in the pass game. Uh, he's a he's kind of a, a, a tough physical runner despite his frame, but I thought what he showed from a pass game standpoint kind of caught my eye. I was like, all right, we didn't talk about this guy uh, after Thursday's practice, but uh, I thought he showed some dynamic qualities and in the game. He kind of flashed as well. So TJ Pledger from Utah, uh, a running back, another running back uh, to keep an eye on here in this senior class. Um, all right, here's another question for you guys. Who's a player that's making you go back and watch more just because of how well they perform? Ben, you kind of referred to that uh, with Calvin Austin earlier. Uh, is there a player that kind of fits that bill for you guys? Dane, uh, I'll come to you first. Uh, Tariq Castro-Fields uh, is a player that I just didn't really love on the tape. Um, you know, I thought that we, you know, we, started, we started talking about him maybe it feels like three years ago, and it just felt like, uh, the hype got a little out of control with where relative to what he was putting on, on the tape, but I thought he had a good week of practice. Uh, he's really going to make me kind of go back and say, okay, uh, you know, his, his athleticism, uh, you know, he, he has it, but in terms of the functional athleticism to stay in phase and stay, uh, you know, in the receiver's hip pocket, I thought he did a much better job of that uh, in one-on-ones that he did uh, on his Penn state tape, especially this past year. So, um, I, I think Castro Fields is a guy that's going to make me go back to the tape and kind of figure him out a little more. Yeah, he's a player. I thought through, you, you said it, it was just rock solid across the week, competed really, really well. Uh, you know, it made one of the highlight plays of the week with that interception uh, on day one and one on one drills over Alec Pierce. Uh, ben, uh, who's a player for you that kind of caught your eye from that standpoint? And real quick, I'm not sure how much ambient noise gets picked up by my mic, but my chair is having a bad day with the squeaks just letting you know in case uh, some of the sounds popping through here and all sorts of squeaks and things back here it wasn't a big bean day like uh, Roger McCreary likes but I went back and I need to look at this Oklahoma defense because Perry and Winfrey and Brian Asamoa had heck of a weeks down there in Mobile and I need to go back and double check their tapes because Perry and Winfrey I did not like his tape at all I think he's more of a kind of a project developmental guy with some really exciting tools that he was able to show off this week. That's going to get you excited. But I had a lot of issues on tape with his pad level, his balance, his hand usage, snap anticipation, block IDs, counter moves, had to use a lot of stunts to kind of free him up. A lot to be desired on that tape. Now he did always play with consistent effort, play with a really good motor, chase the ball all over the place, which you absolutely love. I think we all saw that kind of infectious play style this past week has a lot of upside to grow, but he's going to need some work. The other guy is Brian Asamoah, who is just, I think six foot, even two twenty-two, a little undersized speedy linebacker. 
I'm not so sure his positional fit and projection is settled yet because that's the same kind of height weight as Kyle Duggar or Adrian Amos coming out quarter safeties and kind of box safeties and nickel Sam type of players. I think he could be used a little bit better in space and some in short area zones. I didn't love his pop and his hands doesn't really have stack and shed ability. He's a through and through kind of run and chase will linebacker, which I think is going to give him some problems, but he has really good speed, athleticism, makes plays to the alley. He's a good blitzer, good QB spy. I love his athleticism. Just a little bit worried about his size. So those Oklahoma defenders, Oklahoma tape, that was uh, big on my film study over the weekend. Asimov was a good one because he definitely kind of outperformed what I expected when I watched on film. I saw a guy that uh, wasn't always great through contact and um, you know maybe just a little bit slow to react at times. He, he, he had a really quick trigger all week. I started day one. He made a couple plays in the flat. He made a couple plays in the backfield. The athleticism has been always there, but I thought he was just really good um, from start to finish. I was not surprised at all that he won uh, the linebacker of the week award. Uh, That's right. He did get that award, which yeah, is voted right. on uh, by the players going against him. So yep. it definitely holds a lot of merit. And I was w- working with Chad Muma and with Troy Anderson, who we, you know, we talked mm-hmm. plenty about last week. So Asamoah standing out to, to his teammates uh, a little bit better than those guys. I think that was a good really- linebacker group down there. Yeah, I, mean, it was. I, I very much wanted to say Damone Clark. That was the very next yeah. guy I went, watched and studied yesterday. I thought he had a great week and one-on-ones, team, the game. He's a really impressive player, too. Damon Clark, linebacker from LSU. Uh, I actually want to talk about his teammate on the offensive side of the ball, Ed Ingram uh, at guard, who I thought was just really, really good throughout the week. It's really like it hit me probably like late after watching Wednesday's practice. So, uh, you know, watching Tuesday, I was like, all right, like, yeah, he was solid. I watched Wednesday. I was like, man, like no one is getting past this guy. He was so strong. His hand use was outstanding. Uh, and then even in the run game and team drills, not nine on seven, 11 on 11, uh, he was a bully in the run game. I thought that he was really, really good from start to finish. He uh, also ended up winning uh, offensive lineman of the week, I believe, for the national squad. So I, I think when you look at Ed, Ed Ingram uh, with the way that he kind of performed, it's like, man, like, Maybe we got to start uh, kind of rising him up the, uh, the the offensive line rank, especially that that interior group. We talked a lot about Zion Johnson, Ed Ingram. Uh, you know, potentially worked his way up uh, into the latter stages of day two, maybe even earlier than that. So uh, Ed Ingram, uh, a guy that really really stood out to me. Guys, that said, we are now going to kind of turn our attention to uh, the combine. And I know how you guys work. I, it's kind of similar to how I work. It was so much time spent on the senior class leading into the All Star Game circuit. Now that we're out of that. All right, well, now we're getting ready for the combine. we got underclassmen. If there are some guys that uh, – I, I do want to ask you, who is the first player that you studied coming out of the All-Star Circuit? So coming out of Senior Bowl week, coming out of Shrine Week, looking at underclassmen, who's the first guy uh, on your mind to, to be able to study? Dan, I'll come to you first. Well, for me, it was, it was a pair of Pac-12 corners, um, uh, underclassmen guys. Uh, Chris Steele from uh, USC, Mikhail Wright from Oregon – uh, I think both these guys, they were highly recruited. Chris Steele started at Florida and then was there for a couple months before he transferred to USC. Um, Mikhail Wright came in with a lot of pub. Um, and just trying to figure the, both these guys out. Mikhail Wright, I, I was a little underwhelmed with. I think he's got speed. I, I think that, uh, you know, he moves well, but I, I don't see suddenness and, and that, that, you know, receivers are able to separate a little bit. Uh, Steele, I expect a little bit more from too, but I, I still do do more work on both of them to try and figure out exactly where they fit in this corner class. I thought for sure you're about to say Trent McDuffie. Hmm. No, oh, no, I, I've already done him. I, I've got a pretty high grade on him. Um, I mean, he's, I think he's a top 20, 25 player in this class. 
Yeah, I remember watching. I remember watching uh, Mikel Wright with that Oregon. I mean, that Oregon secondary, his freshman year. Uh, you had Diamond Lenore, uh, and who was the other corner that played for? Uh, 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 yes, uh, Brett, uh, Thomas Graham. Yes, Thomas Graham. Thank you. Uh, but you also had Verone McKinley, who's in this class, uh, and the the second round pick for the uh, for the Dolphins. John Holland. Yeah, John Holland. It was a star-studded group. Uh, I watched that whole secondary. Was a, was a, yeah, no question. I mean, that, that secondary was loaded, and, and he did have a really st- uh, standout freshman year. I'm excited uh, to get through his film. Ben, uh, who's the guy on your list at, at the top of your list? I should say. Hey, speak for yourselves, guys, because I got every redshirt sophomore in this class done at this point. All right. So I'm way ahead of the underclassmen. But one guy, another guy in the kind of we're desensitized to his abilities. Three year start in the SEC. Great size, vertical speed, everything you want. It's Jalen Weidermeyer out of Texas A&M, who's 6'5", 260, I think has all the tools and ability. He's um, he's going to be one of the first I study uh, in this post senior bowl kind of stretch up to the combine of underclassmen. I need to figure out where he is in the pecking order. I wasn't that impressed with Trey McBride down there in Mobile. So I want to see is Weidermeyer have what it takes to maybe be tight end one in this class. At the top of the tight end class, I, I'm telling I think it's wide open. Like, I, Yes, I, it is. I, I, and, and I think there's like six guys uh, that are really, I mean, you talk about McBride. I think Rucker is up there. Uh, Kate Otten, who we didn't get to see at the senior bowl because he was injured, I, I think is up there. Uh, Isaiah Likely, he, you know, different type of tight end, but he's in that mix. Greg Dolchik from UC, uh, UCLA, same type of thing. I mean, and I throw Wedemeyer in there. So that's six guys who I think all have a chance to be top 75 picks. Um, and I don't know that I would take any of them in the top 40. So it, it's going to be fun trying to sort the top of this tight end group out. And one of the darlings of the Shrine Week, what about Jelani Woods? 6'7", 260 with those pillow hands and route running ability. He's an interesting player, too. Uh, it's funny. I'm glad you brought up Weidermeyer, Ben, because I actually studied him and my pick uh, that I was going to go with both today, this morning. Uh, Weidermeyer is interesting. You know, they, they obviously, I look, a three-year starter. He was a big recruit. He came up to Texas A&M and, and started as a true freshman. And I think you're looking at all the physical traits. He's a fluid athlete. He gets in and out well. He can get down the seam. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit better as a route runner and, and as a blocker. I didn't think he was great in any one area uh, this year. The one thing that's really interesting, he had a lot of drops this year, like uncharacteristic really? amount of drops. And that was the the, the rough part, uh, I think, for this season. He was still very productive, um, but had a number of drops, a number of balls I think he would have liked to have back. But uh, the talent is absolutely there. So I think when you look at him, he's going to be a really intriguing player. I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to really emphasize in, on the run game and see where I can project him at the next level in the run game. I felt like I had a good assessment of what he does in the pass game. Might have to study those drops, though. Yeah, that, take a look at those from this year because uh, that was that was definitely an issue for him, uh, more so than any other year. Um, for me, it was Trayvon Walker uh, was the guy that I was kind of putting off throughout the course of the season because, you know, sometimes when you get those one-year starters, maybe they decide to go back to school for that extra year. Uh, and then by the time he really kind of caught on, I was locked in on doing the senior class. So, all right, I'll, he'll be the first guy I do when I get back from Mobile. Guys, he reminds me of Zadarius Smith in so many different ways. And I think we kind of talked about like bumping him inside. Is he going to be a part of the D tackle group? I see him as a, a pure edge guy. I mean, they, they stood him up off the edge. He dropped back in coverage. He's creating interceptions, getting into throwing lanes. Like uh, he does some really impressive things from an athletic standpoint. 
what I love most about him, number one, the, obviously the effort. We've talked about that numerous times. But then also uh, the pure power uh, that he plays with. He can, he can push the pocket on command. He's a great run defender on the edge, an outstanding run defender. So uh, I think he's a three-down player all day. Uh, it's a matter – I think you're starting getting into the conversations about ceiling. But uh, Trayvon Walker was the first guy uh, I wanted to study uh, coming out of the Senior Bowl and uh, just a really, really fun player. Uh, that said, guys, uh, let's transition into one of my favorite segments. It's a segment where uh, we kind of t- take on the role of kind of going through the paces as an NFL team. It's time for On the Clock. On the Clock. All right, so we're going to return back to uh, the new version of that segment. We haven't done it here in a couple of weeks, obviously, with the All-Star Game schedule. But uh, for new listeners, basically the way this is going to go, we have a, uh, a randomizer, right, or just a website you can kind of plug in a bunch of random items. So uh, each of us were assigned a random team, a random position, and a random part of the draft. We just tried to play matchmaker here, uh, knowing what we know about certain NFL teams and uh, how they kind of approach the draft process. Uh, And for me this week, I was assigned the Pittsburgh Steelers in round one. They've got the 20th overall pick, and I was assigned the offensive tackle position. I think overall, uh, when you look uh, at the Pittsburgh Steelers, the way that they've operated over the course of time, mainly big schools. So I, I definitely try to stay in the big pool bucket. Versatility does matter. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that it's kind of interesting kind of looking at, um, you know, the, the couple of the tackles that I think you're talking about in the later stages of round one, a couple of guys that we saw last week at the senior bowl. And Dane, I want to, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on how these two guys uh, performed in your eyes. But to me, it came down to Daniel Falele and uh, Bernard Raymond, just looking at offensive tackle. And I didn't think Falele had a great week last week. I didn't think Raymond had a particularly great last week, but obviously you don't want to go overboard in terms of everything you see uh, in mobile and take the whole body of work uh, into consideration. When I'm looking at the offensive tackle spot, you know, I think when you look at Falele, he kind of fits some of the the players that they have selected uh, in the past. I think when you look at, at his, his size, his, uh, the height, weight, speed aspect of him, uh, really, really interesting. That said, while I mentioned that they like the big schools, the one time that they will go into like the group of five area are the, the schools that are right within like that footprint and that, that part uh, of the country. And so you'll see them go into the Mac. Obviously they've had a lot of success. You go to, to central Michigan and Toledo. Uh, they, they've had a lot of success uh, picking players from those schools, Antonio Brown from central Michigan. So uh, Bernard Raymond uh, kind of slides in there for me. Uh, I'm kind of interested to see what you guys think uh, of those two pair, that, that, that pairing of offensive tackles being a fit there for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I like it, and I, I don't know that. Uh, oh, I, I, let me let me rephrase. I like the Raymond pick. Um, I, I think with his core strength, um, with his ability, uh, there are times where he will lose the corner. He doesn't have that elite lateral range, but I do think that he recovers nicely and uh, he he can mirror. I, I, the big thing with Fall Lele, and this was really stood out during the practices at Senior Bowl, is just his struggles with range and struggles to mirror. Like he just, if he gets his weight uh, off uh, leaning just a little bit, yep. he he gets destroyed. And, you know, you mentioned how you know, the Steelers specifically, you know, they, they, they've worked with like guys like Zach Banner and yep, you know, exactly. big, bigger guys before. So, you I know, maybe, yep. right. That could be a potential fit. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I struggle with fall lately, especially in the first round. Like that would, He's a big guy who can manhandle you when when you when uh, you get your hands on when he gets his hands on you. But with any type of space, that's where he really struggles. And I think that was pretty evident during senior bowl practices. Coming out of last week, is Trevor Penning going in the top nineteen for sure? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think he's. I think he's going first round. But yep. I, I mean, I don't. I don't think that he necessarily. It was up and down all week. I think you know. 
Um, the, the, the aggression stuff, it's, you'd like to see a little more controlled, but I, I mean, as scouts loved it. They loved to I see know, that. And that's probably, that was obviously the other guy that I, that I did think about. Yeah. I, just, I, I thought that was maybe a little bit too far, uh, down the line in terms of, uh, the small schools, but, uh, that was something that I definitely took into account. And just yeah. putting both of you guys on the spot real fast. What's the next wave of tackles? You know, it's a kind of a top-heavy group. A lot of guys are getting attention with Aquano and Cross and Neil. And then this next wave here, Henning, Raymond, Falalele. Is there a bit of a drop-off? I know Rashid Walker's in there. Tyler Smith out of Tulsa is getting some buzz. You have the guard conversions of Kennard and Sean Ryan in that group. Who can get excited if maybe the Steelers don't go round one and they want to wait for their turn to come back around? Is that kind of a risk-reward? Yeah, I think it does kind of fall off a little bit. You know, I think when you look at like, I'm trying to think of who else you'd plug in there. And these are guys we saw last week, but like Max Abraham Lucas, maybe. Yeah, Abe Lucas. uh, You know, I thought he had a pretty good week. Yeah, Danny Kennard from Kentucky. Like, is he someone you're looking at there? Um, You know, when you get into that next tier, that's a good question. Yeah, Mm -hmm. just looking at my board, I'm just a little concerned that there's going to be a lot of tackles early, maybe 10 taken in the top 40 or 50. And then I'm kind of concerned on, you know, round three, early day three on if there's any starter types out there or not. I know Max Mitchell is probably in that conversation. Yep. You know, Petit Friere is going to get some steam and it's kind of open season out there. So tackle may not be a position you're going to want to wait on this in this class. Uh, yeah. And at the same time, I, I've got issues with a lot of these tackles, but I, oh, yeah. I think they're, a lot of them will go high because it is such a in-demand position across uh, several NFL teams. All right, let's go. Let's go, Bernard Raymond here uh, for this one. I think that's that, that's a, an interesting fit from that standpoint. Ben, uh, for your assignment this week, you were assigned the cornerback spot for the Seattle, okay. for the Seattle okay. Seahawks in round two, and they pick, uh, I believe, forty-one overall there uh, in the second round. All right, let me calibrate here. Cornerback round two, forty-one. So we're still in the top fifty for Seattle. For Seattle, Pete Carroll. Okay, Ken Norton Jr.'s out. I believe they just hired or promoted their new defensive coordinator a few days ago, if I'm not mistaken, and Clint Hurt. So it should be kind of a continuation of the scheme. That 10th overall pick, yeah, I went to the Jets for the Jamal Adams trade last year. So we're going to be picking 40, 41st there. Okay. Stingley, Gardner, Andrew Booth, McDuffie, to put them out of the conversation. I think those are the first rounders there. So who are we in conversation with here? Kyar Elam out of Florida, DK Kendrick out of Georgia slash Clemson, Kobe Bryant, and Roger McCreary, I think, is fully in this conversation. You may, may say, is McCreary too small? They took Trey Brown last year in the fourth round at Oklahoma, who was kind of on the undersized yeah. size as well. So, you know, if I'm sitting here 41st overall, I really like Kobe Bryant and physicality and size. But if Roger McCreary is sitting there early second round, I think we would love to run to the podium to take a Roger McCreary. Maybe not the size and length profile of guys we've taken in the past. This isn't the same cover three, Dan Quinn, Gus Bradley type of scheme out there anymore. So playing a lot more too high stuff, want some more true press man guys. I think Roger McCreary sitting there at 41st overall would be a steal. Do we, I was say, do we do we think that McCreary has any prayer of getting there to 41? Like, do we think that that's even in the realm of, of possibility for Seattle? Well, in my scenario here, I'm yeah. picking the first round up to this point here. So I told you who the four I thought were locks to go in the first round. I think Booth and McDuffie, that's Andrew Booth and Trent McDuffie out of Washington, are going to be big risers 
especially after the combine. I think they're both going to be freak testers. We're just going to salivate at what we can do with them at the next level. So those four, I feel good about. So I got to project on who might fall. It might be a Roger McCreary. It might it's be possible, a Kyrie yeah. Elam. So I'm not sure if you guys have a different type of projection there. I mean, under 30 inch arms, that's going to be a problem for a lot of teams. Um, I thought he had a good week of practice down here. I thought he, uh, you know, what, what was expected of him uh, at the senior bowl. But uh, for a lot of teams, they just, they will not draft a corner with under 30 inch arms in the top 50 picks. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to watch there. And we know that uh, John Schneider's still there in Seattle, uh, coming from that that Ron Wolf tree in Green Bay. Uh, very, very uh, strict in terms of the body typing standpoint, especially with those early picks. Uh, Dane, uh, let's come to you for your last one. Uh, you've got the Arizona Cardinals, okay. interior offensive line, and we're going to go late in the draft, so around six through seven uh, where the uh, was the, the the title I gave you there. Okay. Uh, well, I, they could use some help with guard, uh, but you know, looking at center too, uh, uh, Rodney Hudson. Uh, I think he's uh, turning 33 this upcoming year. That contract could become an issue at some time, so maybe uh, you're looking to groom a someone a center behind him, uh, someone that you could really develop. And so I, I'm looking at uh, Nebraska's Cam Jurgens maybe as a possibility there. I, I like that uh, in that range if he's still available. Uh, it's hard to get a, a real feel for where he's going to be drafted because he there, there's some good tape, there's some bad tape. He's a former tight end. Uh, he was a linebacker and tight end in high school, goes into Nebraska. They move him to the offensive line, which he never played center before, uh, and they moved him there. And so he's only been playing really for three years at the center position. So obviously there, there's some hiccups on his tape. Uh, and we know the Cardinals, they like to run that, you know up-tempo, inside-outside zone, and uh, it really, that puts a premium on athletic linemen. Jurgens, uh, again, with his background as a tight end, uh, he moves really well laterally. Uh, he's really efficient on combinations of his outside range, uh, but he is probably 6'2", 290 at best. Uh, so it, I think in, uh, you know, the big question is going to be the point of attack power and can he stay under control in space in a lot of ways he's kind of like the day three developmental version of Tyler Linderbaum, you know, undersized and not nearly as technically proficient. Um, you know, he's a much, you know, he's a developmental version of that. So obviously he's got a long way to go, but if you're going to bet on maybe a center in the later rounds, Jurgens makes sense. I like it. Uh, and certainly a team that uh, we've seen kind of get guys that number one, they're not afraid of undersized players across the board. So I don't think that that's something that's going to scare uh, Arizona off and the, the athletic traits are certainly there kind of fit the profile uh, for that team with Steve Kime as the general manager guys. Uh, good stuff. Always have kind of a fun exercise just to talk about teams uh, all around the NFL and players throughout the course of the draft. We will talk to you both uh, next week, right here on the journey of the draft podcast presented by life brand. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so as always, the best way to reach us and to get your questions answered here on Draft Mailbag is to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, and we will always answer it here on the show, whether it's a mock draft, a question about rankings, or a specific position. We've got a couple really good ones here today. First, we're going to go over to RJ Field 11, who left a five-star review saying, thanks for all the great work all year round. Can you rank these two tiers on your early big board and compare and contrast their fit in Philly? So, uh, RJ, I don't, I'm not going to say I like 
put together a big board and talk about these guys and their fits in Philly. But I will say that I've studied all six of these guys. So we can kind of go through uh, strengths and weaknesses and uh, the way you kind of the, the profile of these six players. First at corner, you brought up Roger McCreary, Trent McDuffie, and Andrew Booth. And I think when you look at Roger McCreary, uh, this is a player that uh, we've talked a lot about over the course uh, of the, the, the pre-draft process, especially this fall. I mean, 5'11", 190 pounds. Dane just talked about just under 30-inch arms. And so that body type is going to bother some people. There are some teams that are going to remove him based solely off that measurement. You know, you're going to argue whether that's uh, good or bad. But I think when you look at Roger McCreary, he just checks a lot of boxes in terms of playing the cornerback position. He's a good athlete. He's not a great athlete, but he's a good athlete. He's got fluid hips. He's got the, the makeup speed, all of that. He's got really good feet. He's got the ability to play in press. He can play in zone. He can play in man. He's got good ball skills. He's really competitive in the run game. He's a good tackler. He rarely missed a tackle. Just a really physical, competitive player. Had a great season this year as a senior. He was first-team All-American, first-team All-SEC. He wins the Cornerback of the Week Award for the, the Senior Bowl, the American team, last week during during practice. So I think when you're looking at Roger McCreary, you, again, you're just looking at a guy that checks a lot of boxes at 5'11 and under, and under 190 pounds. Some people may say, all right, this guy's got to play inside. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think you could say that he could play outside, but regardless, just a really, really good football player. And I think a lot of people would say a lot of the same things about Trent McDuffie from Washington. He's listed 5'11", 195, so a similar body type to McCreary. Based off the knowledge we know now, he's going to get officially weighed and measured uh, out in Indianapolis for the combine. But when you look at Trent McDuffie at that size, he's got some of that proven uh, versatility because he, he has slid inside at times. So some people are going to view him as uh, kind of an off-coverage corner on the, on the perimeter or that ability to be a nickel. He was a, a very good special teams player. He's played a lot of special teams over the course of his career. You love the versatility. I love his instinct in both man and zone. He's got solid physical tools. I wouldn't call him like an explosive or special athlete, but the tools are absolutely there that he can play uh, in any coverage you want. Now, again, just a very reliable tackler. So I think when you look at McDuffie, very, very similar in a lot of ways uh, to Roger McCreary in terms of the skill set and the, the scheme fit and the, the play personality, a lot of those same attributes. Now, when you look at Andrew Booth, it's going to be a little bit different because the body type is a little bit different. Andrew Booth, he measures in right now at six foot, 195 pounds. He looks like a, just your typical boundary corner and just a, a really fluid athlete. The top end speed is there. I think he's got some elite traits that maybe uh, you don't quite see with McCreary and McDuffie. But I think that the big thing, too, is that those guys are playing a lot more football. And so the instincts are maybe a little bit better with McCreary and McDuffie. With Booth, uh, this is a guy that's only started one full season just this past year. He was a late starter in 2020, only started, uh, I believe, four games uh, as a sophomore in 2020. So I think when you're looking at Andrew Booth, you're looking at all the elite traits. And I talked about the height, weight, speed aspect, but uh, he will bring the wood as a hitter in the flat. He's got some outstanding tackles uh, coming downhill. The flashes in terms of his ball skills, his ability to finish at the catch point are just flat out outstanding. So I think when you're looking at Andrew Booth, uh, the potential to be one of those shut down outside corners uh, on the perimeter, that's going to be the difference. I think when you're looking at him versus McCreary and McDuffie, um, but again, it's going to come down to uh, scheme fit and what you're looking at in terms of uh, what your cornerback room looks like and what you need and, and how you like to play defense. Uh, I think that you could make the argument for all three of those guys going ahead of the other two. And so it's a really interesting conversation. Then when you get to the pass rushers, you mentioned three, George Karlaftis, Trayvon Walker, and Jermaine Johnson. I think, we, again, it's kind of similar. 
I think you look at Carl Aftis and Trayvon Walker. Those two guys are kind of similar in terms of body type and strengths and weaknesses because uh, they definitely are more of the power leverage type rushers. You look at uh, at George Carl Aftis, he's listed 6'4", 275. You look at Trayvon Walker, who I talked about a little bit earlier in the show, uh, he's got that similar body type in terms of being, uh, I believe he's 6'5", 275, right, in terms of what they're listed at uh, right now. Both guys have the ability to push the pocket with power. They win with outstanding effort. They're good run defenders. Uh, you wouldn't say that they're the most like flexible or explosive athletes, but uh, they both play with outstand- with a white-hot motor uh, and have the ability to defend the run, and they can push the pocket. I think Karlaftis maybe a little bit more technically advanced. Uh, the production was a little bit better with Karlaftis over the course of his career. He burst on the scene as a true freshman and was one of the best players in the Big Ten, whereas Trayvon Walker, he, won, uh, he was freshman All-SEC his first year, but didn't really put up big production until this past season as a junior, his first year as a starter. Carl Aftis, a three-year starter with the Boilermakers. So I, that's going to be the difference there in terms of the profile. But I think when you look at them from a, uh, a height, weight, speed standpoint, a skill set standpoint, I think they can be pretty comparable. And then when you go to Jermaine Johnson, he's just built a little bit different. He's 6'4", just under 260 pounds. Unlike the other two, he's got outstanding length and he's got a great wingspan. So uh, he's going to look really, really impressive uh, coming off the bus. He's one of the first guys uh, you look at it and say, man, like this guy's just really physically imposing. And unlike those other guys, I think he's just got spe- special athletic gifts. The way that he's uh, the way that he's able to close ground. He's a twitched up athlete. He uh, was able to make cuts at a really high rate. He also flashes really good power, especially with a runway when he's lined up out wide and he's got plenty of space to be able to operate. He will barrel right through offensive linemen. Uh, the only thing with Jermaine Johnson just one year of being a starter and one year of real production. He was a backup at Georgia for the first three seasons, or the first couple seasons, rather, uh, in college football. He's a JUCO transfer. So 2019-2020, a backup at Georgia, transfers to Florida State. He's the ACC Defensive Player of the Year and All-American as a senior in 2021. So I think when you look at Jermaine Johnson, just a different uh, body type and skill set. So if you like to, um, if you want your guy to be purely an edge player, I think Johnson is more your guy. I think if you want to be able to have that flexibility of kicking your guy inside, uh, that's going to be more Carl Laftis and Trayvon Walker. So RJ, hope that helps. It was a, it's good. You know, three of the best players uh, at the respective position here in the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, let's get to one more question here from Maddie G underscore 28 left a five-star review said, I like the Eagles to go with a trio of something like Cincinnati cornerback, Ahmad Gardner, Arkansas wide receiver, Traylon Burks, and then Utah linebacker, Devin Lloyd in the first round. But I also like some of the linebackers that could slip into the second round. I know that best player available versus positional need has been a long time debate around the NFL, but do you think good position classes or deep pools in one position matter to general managers? Or is that just a bad fantasy football habit that I have? So, Matty, it's it's not a bad habit that you have. I think that it's something that definitely comes into play, but it's not going to come into play for every single team the same way every single season because all of these decisions, number one, it's a, it's a group decision, right? It's not going to be uh, just the GM making the call. You're also looking at the entirety of your roster. You're working with your coaching staff, and so you might look at so let's use your linebacker example. Let's say, let's say uh, you've got Devin Lloyd and you've got the, the chance to take him at the end of the first round, but you also love, uh, you know, we'll say, uh, Damone Clark from LSU and Chad Muma from Wyoming and uh, you like a couple of those other guys you get into the second round wow those guys really really impressed me Quay Walker from Georgia Channing Tindall from Georgia we'll go down the list right so uh, you like the the guys that are available in round two 
maybe that does tip the scales in terms of the direction you go in the first round versus the second round. I think really, though, what it ultimately will come down to when it comes to like position strengths and looking at that's a big risk to say, hey, uh, we really like this player in round one. We don't pick again for uh, 38 more selections, <clears throat> but we're going to wait because we like the players that could be available there 38 picks from now. I don't know that everybody operates that way, but what you'll typically see, and you'll hear this all the time when teams trade down, uh, especially on draft night. Hey, we, you know, the, the team traded down. They had the 45th pick. They traded down uh, to 48th. And they said, yeah, well, you know, we, we felt really good. We really liked three players there with the 45th pick. And so we felt good uh, that we were going to get one of the guys that we really, really liked. Um, and again, the, there are so many different factors with all of these decisions because uh, you might like Devin Lloyd as a, as a first-round talent, but uh, you know, what does the, the others, what, what are the, who are the linebackers that are already in your room? How does that compare you know, in terms of uh, the other linebackers that are available? Because you've got to remember all the different off-field aspects of this as well. Do you need a guy to come in and play day one, or can this guy come in and come off the bench and uh, you know, you can you can kind of work them a little bit from a developmental standpoint. I'm not saying that's the case with Devin Lloyd, but I'm saying that that's the case uh, with a lot of these decisions in terms of trying to highlight uh, who you like at different areas of the draft and grading them against different uh, players at that same position. It's so it's so much harder than just oh well, this position is really deep. We can wait to to select it. It, do, it doesn't necessarily work that way because the other thing to remember, and we try and talk about this when we do that on the clock segment, is every team operates the draft different. So while you or I might look at this linebacker group and say, oh, this is, this, is a, this is a really good group. There are a lot of really good players. An NFL team might look at that and say, hey, we, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a good group, but three of these names are off our board because of uh, physical, uh, you know, for, uh, from a body type standpoint. One of these guys comes from a lower level of competition, and we typically like our guys um, from Power 5. One of these guys didn't produce uh, to the level that we really want. Uh, one of these guys didn't test extremely well, so he's off our board because he ran a slow 40, right? So you look at, uh, they're, they're all, all of these measurements, all of these different uh, things I think a lot of people say, all analytics, all of these are, are constructed to be able to narrow down, to be able to whittle down the list for NFL teams and really kind of hone in their focus. Hey, these are our priorities. Now let's go draft based off those priorities. And so uh, everybody's going to operate differently from there, and it's going to play into every decision, including whether or not you want to take a position uh, early versus waiting for a little bit later in the draft. I was all over the place with that answer, but I hope that helped uh, there, Matty. I appreciate the, uh, the five-star review. appreciate the question. Thanks so much to RJ as well, and thank you to all of you out there uh, for listening to this episode. We'll be back later this week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.